1: Actually, that's not what the Bible teaches for us. And it's not a law and it's not a command. And you're going to see this as we go through this chapter. There's not one place in, in these two chapters where Paul says, Give a tithe.
2: We always seem to want a formula, don't we? And while it's a good thing to set apart a regular amount of our income for the Lord's use, it's not the percentage that's the main thing, it's our attitude. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. In our last broadcast, Pastor Steve began teaching from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Before we get too far into this series on the generous church, let's try to understand the circumstances that prompted Paul to write what he did to the church at Corinth.
1: Now, let's go to Galatians chapter 2, which is one book after 2 Corinthians. We're just just putting this together, and once you see it, you're going to understand what this is about. Galatians chapter 2, Paul is relating to the Galatians what took place at this Jerusalem council. He says in chapter 2, verse 9, speaking of the council, he said, in recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas, Cephas is another word for Peter, and John, who were reputed to be pillars, meaning pillars at the Jerusalem church, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Paul said, they recognized that I have been called, though Jewish, I have been called to tell the Gentiles about Christ. And they recognized that they had primarily been called to tell Jewish people about the Lord. But watch verse 10. They only asked us to remember the poor the very thing I was eager to do, you know what Paul is saying. He's saying this: the Jerusalem Council said, "Yes, Paul, preach the gospel by all means. Preach the gospel to the Gentiles. We recognize that's God's work in your life. Preach the gospel to the Gentiles, but but Paul, don't forget the poor Jewish believers in Israel. That's the poor he's referring to. Preach to the Gentiles, but don't forget your poor brethren in." Jerusalem. And Paul said, I was eager to help as well. In other words, he's saying they didn't even have to tell me that. I would have done that anyway. And this is where 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 fit in all this. You see, the way that Paul decided to help the poor in Jerusalem was to instruct the various Gentile churches to collect money for them. That was his plan. He said, I was eager to help them Well, Paul wasn't a wealthy man himself. How was he going to do this? He was going to collect money from the Gentile churches to send to Jerusalem. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians now, chapter 16. 1 Corinthians, this is his first letter, and he writes to them about this collection. Same people that he's writing 2 Corinthians to a little bit later. But chapter 16, starting at verse 1, so you understand. They're poor in Jerusalem. He wants to do something about it. He writes to the churches. Let's take a collection. We'll get it to them. Verse one, now concerning the collection for the saints, he means the poor Jewish saints at Jerusalem. As I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. So Paul had already told the churches in the region of Galatia to do this. Now he's telling the Corinthians. And here's what they're supposed to do. On the first day of every week, that's Sunday, you get together, he says, each one of you, is to put aside and save. So everyone in the church, everyone who takes the name of Christ on Sundays, when you come together, you put aside, you save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. Paul said, when you meet together to be taught, to be instructed, to worship, I want you to take a collection for the Jewish believers. Every one of you, as God has prospered you, if he's prospered you a lot, then give more. If he's prospered you a little, then give less. And he says in verse three, when I arrive, Whomever you may approve, I will send with them or send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. Paul said, I don't want a collection taken when I'm there. I want you to be doing it now. When I arrive, you tell me who you want to uh, carry this gift to Jerusalem. We'll send letters with them and they'll take it. That's, that's Paul's instruction. They had been instructed to do this. Paul said, after I arrive there, we'll make arrangements. Not only would this be the loving thing to do, would it be helpful? In relieving some of the financial burden. But watch this. From Paul's perspective, the Gentile Christians had a moral obligation to do this. This is more than charity, this is a moral obligation. And you need to see this. This is important. Romans chapter 15. This was a great burden to Paul, and it ought to be something that you understand. Romans 15, beginning at verse 26. Paul writes, For Macedonia, meaning the churches there, and Achaia, meaning the churches there, and Corinth was in that region, by the way, of Achaia, have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Watch this. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. And do you understand what Paul is saying? In other words, since Gentiles had received spiritual riches in the form of the gospel from the Jewish people, especially the mother church in Jerusalem, then they, meaning these Gentile Christians now, were indebted to return some material riches to the poor Jewish believers who were in such great need. If they've shared with you spiritual riches, then you need to share with them material riches. That was Paul's passion. Paul's passion. So Paul saw this collection among the, uh, among the Gentile churches as more than, than charity, as more than a kind thing to do, though certainly it was all of that. He believed that they had a moral duty to minister to the mother church at Jerusalem, their brethren who they had never seen, who they didn't, didn't really know. But, and here's the twist, when Titus visited the Corinthians, he discovered they hadn't made much progress in this collection. And done much about it. They said they would, but they hadn't. Now, now let's go back to 2 Corinthians 8, and we'll we'll put it together from this chapter. Verse 6, for example, says, So we urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. It wasn't completed. So we, we want to Titus to help you to complete this. Verse 10, I give my opinion on this matter, for this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago. Not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. Paul said, you started a year ago. Now you got to finish it. Titus will help you. But, but what are you, what are you doing now? Why hadn't they finished it? Well, we're not told specifically. What, what had gone wrong? Why, why did they start a year ago and and let it go? Um, We don't know for certain. Probably it was because of all their internal sin problems. It may very well have been that the false teachers who were there were taking money for themselves. We don't know for sure what took place so that this was delayed. But according to the close of chapter 7, Paul said, hey, those those problems, apart from the false teachers, they're they're taken care of. They've been dealt with. You've repented of your sins. We, we've been restored to fellowship, and I plan to visit you again. Now finish what you started. Notice verse 11. But now finish doing it also, so that just as there was the readiness to desire it, So there may be also the completion of it by your ability. Paul says, finish it, get going on this. And you know what? That's exactly what 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 are all about. That's what they're about. These chapters contain Paul's renewed encouragement to the Corinthians to finish the collection for the Jewish believers at Jerusalem. Note that that's exactly what this is about. But I want you to understand, Paul's instructions were not limited to the Corinthians, nor to any ancient church. His teaching is is given for us as well, because those truths about giving apply to all believers in Christ in every age. And it's important that we really understand what these two chapters teach. And I'll tell you why. Because uh, it is my firm belief that most Christians really don't have much of a clue about giving. If you ask a typical believer in Christ to explain giving, he'll just say, well, the tithe, the tithe, we're to give 10%. Actually, that's not what the Bible teaches for us. And it's not a law and it's not a command. And you're going to see this as we go through this chapter. There's not one place in in these two chapters where Paul says, give a tithe. Secondly, a lot of believers don't think about attitudes that God wants with their gifts. He doesn't just want you to give. He wants you to have the right attitudes. And there are many who don't consider the motives that should go along with with our giving. There are many times in the Old Testament, God said to Israel, I don't accept your gifts. I don't want them because your heart is far from me. You may be saying the right words, but I know your hearts. Your hearts are not in it. In fact, many Christians are just outright disobedient at this point in their lives. And, And either they don't give at all because finances are tight at home, so how could you possibly give? Or if they do give, they give very very sporadically, very sporadically. And yet Paul said on the first day of the week, on each first day of the week, each one is to set aside. In fact, many Christians think more about excuses for why they cannot give than thinking about what God says about why and what they should be doing in giving. Come up come up with all kinds of justifications for this. So this morning, as we begin to study 2 Corinthians 8, we're going to see how we're supposed to give. And the way we are going to discover this is by looking at a generous church and a group of generous Christians and how they gave. Because the first thing Paul does in appealing to the Corinthians to give generously, and that's what he's doing, give generously to Jerusalem, is tell them about the example set by a group of churches in an area known as Macedonia. These churches had already given liberally and generously to Jerusalem, and in doing so, you know what? They have established for us a permanent pattern of giving for every church and every Christian. They are a divine established pattern for our giving. And every one of us who knows Christ ought to strive to emulate how they gave and attitudes of giving. You see, the way they were in their giving is precisely the way God wants us to be in our giving. Now, if you're taking notes, what we're gonna be doing this week and Lord willing next week is we're gonna look at four characteristics of a generous church. What does a generous church look like? What does a generous believer in Christ look like? This is just for wealthy people? No, this is for all of us and you'll and you'll see this. Now, this is what a generous church looks like. First characteristic. You're taking notes, and I encourage you to do this. The first characteristic of a generous church is this. Their giving is motivated by the grace of God. Paul begins with motivation, why you do what you do. God is not only interested in in us giving. He's interested in us giving for the right reasons. Their giving was motivated by the grace of God. Let's look at verse 1. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. Now, Paul begins his appeal by giving some information to the Corinthians about the generosity of several churches in a region called Macedonia. It was uh, the northern part of Greece in the Roman Empire, northern region of Greece, as opposed to Corinth, which was in the southern region of Greece. You are familiar with several of the churches in this area. You have the church of uh, Philippi is in Macedonia. You have the church of Thessalonica in that area, and you have the church of Berea mentioned in Acts chapter 17 in that area. There may have been more churches. We're just not aware of those churches because these are the ones that are mentioned in the book of Acts. But I want you to notice something. Notice Paul doesn't simply say that the Macedonian churches were generous in giving to the poor in Jerusalem because they felt sorry for them. Doesn't say that. Or because they had a special place in their hearts for Jewish people. Doesn't say that. Or because they gave to impress the Corinthians with their generosity. Doesn't say that. Or because they gave out of a guilty conscience. Doesn't say that. Those are some of the reasons why people often give their money away. But none of those reasons are given for the Macedonians' generosity. Instead, notice what Paul says about why they gave. Look at it again. We wish to make known to you The grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. Now, what does Paul mean by the grace of God? The Bible means by the grace of God, essentially, that God's grace is his unconditional kindness shown towards us in granting us salvation in Christ. That's why the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through what? faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's nothing that we do. It's God's mercy, God's compassion in Christ dying for sinners and in saving us by faith alone, which he gives to us as a gift, and he gives us salvation as a gift through through grace. But God's grace doesn't just save us, and I want this is important for you to understand. He doesn't just save us and then leave us alone to live out our sinful lives. He begins to transform our character from the inside out. We're not just people who embrace a belief system and and we reform ourselves. He begins to change our character, which means that he works in our lives to change us from people who once hated God to a people who now love him. And it is this inward transformation of character that has a profound effect upon the way that we live. It is the effect of grace in our lives that, that makes us uh, hunger and thirst for righteousness. It is the effect of grace in our lives that causes us to long for purity, long for godly behavior, long for obedience to the word of God. And watch this. And it is the effect of grace in our lives that causes us to give generously to others. In other words, what Paul is saying is that the generosity of the Macedonians was, was the evidence Of God at work in their hearts. It was part of the outworking of the salvation that he already has put into us. That's precisely what he's saying. You see, by nature, no one is born generous. No one. Not one person here. No one is born sensitive and thoughtful to others, especially complete strangers. It takes God's work of grace in our lives to transform us from being self-absorbed individuals who, who think only, about hoarding money for ourselves, to, a, to be a generous kind of individual who wants to share their money with others, especially complete strangers. And, I might add, to give expecting nothing in return. That takes the grace of God. Now, let me tell you, one of the great evidences that you have really been transformed by God's grace is that you will want to share your resources with others. I want to show you some passages of Scripture that support this. Let's look just a few books down the road. Ephesians chapter 4. In Paul's letter to to the Ephesians in chapter 4, he starts to tell them about how a transformed life is to be lived out. You know, we all bring baggage from our non-Christian days into our Christian lives. We We all bring baggage. And Paul is telling us in this chapter to take out, take off that baggage, get, get that old clothing off. Look, look at this in chapter 4, beginning at verse 22. He says that in reference to your former manner of life, meaning before you came to faith, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Think differently, he's saying. Live differently, think differently put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. In other words, get that old baggage out of here and replace bad, wrong, unregenerate behavior with godly, Christ-like behavior. Now, what is that? Well, that's what the rest of the chapter is about. But what I want you to see is verse 28. He says to those who steal, he who steals must steal no longer. Now, that's that's the old self-behavior. If you're a thief, he says, stop stop being a thief. Stop robbing others. Okay, so I stop. Now, what do I do? He says, but rather he must labor. So instead of instead of robbing people, start working hard. Get a job, work hard, stop taking from other people. But he has more to say. Watch this. He must labor, performing with his own hands what is good. Now, why would I do that? Why would I stop doing that? Why? What is that about? Watch this. Here's the purpose. Here's why you work hard so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Isn't that amazing? Paul is saying, stop taking from other people. Instead, work hard so you can give to other people. When does a thief stop stop being uh, a thief? I'll tell you when he starts giving to other people, Not, not just when he stops stealing. Now, Paul is not saying neglect your family and do this. He's not saying don't pay your bills and start just giving other people. He's not teaching financial irresponsibility because other scriptures say that take care of your family. Take care of your your bills. Make sure you don't get in debt. But, But what he is saying is on top of that, work hard so that you'll have enough money to share with others who don't have as much as you. And you see his point here is that's how the new man behaves that's evidence of being in Christ it's another passage first john chapter 3 and jack preached on this it seems like years ago but probably just weeks ago first john chapter 3 and i hope you'll be back tonight to hear jack speak in this wonderful concluding message of this wonderful series that we've been privileged to hear from him but first john chapter 3 verse 16 John writes, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. Now, that's very similar to John 3.16. God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. This is how he said we recognize love, that Christ laid his life down for us. But watch this. And we ought to lay our lives down for the brethren. Now, what does he mean by that? We're certainly not going to go to the cross. There's nothing redemptively we can do. He explains it in verse 17. But whoever... Here's what he means about laying our lives down for the brethren. Whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Meaning, it's a rhetorical question. The love of God does not abide in a person like that. Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. What John is saying is don't tell somebody you love them and they have needs and you won't help them. Don't say, I'll pray for you and I'll pray that somebody else will help you. Don't do that. The way that we demonstrate that we love one another is we do something tangible, if you can, for somebody else. So you see, God's grace at work in our lives opens our hearts, and watch this, it also opens our wallets to other people. I have a friend who said this once to me. said, Steve, when I came to Christ, my checkbook was converted as well, not just me. Now, why is it, and this is a valid question to ask, why is it that God's work in our lives Uh, prompts us and changes us to be generous? It's a very simple answer. Because what God is doing in changing us, he's transforming us into the very image of his son. That's Romans 8, 28 and 29. That is to say that that God isn't just changing us in a uh, random way. He is changing us inwardly to be more like his son in terms of our character, loving and kind and forgiving and gracious and generous. Because part of the character makeup of the Lord Jesus, because this is an attribute of God, is that he is generous and giving. In fact, everything you have comes from him. Everything is on loan. There's not one thing that you brought into this world, Paul teaches. Timothy, there's not one thing you're taking out of this world. It's all on loan, and it's on loan from him. Notice Second Corinthians 8, 9. When we get to this, we'll develop this further. But look at this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You spoke about the grace of God in the Macedonians. Now it's another example. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Why? So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. One of the most profound and noble verses in all the word of God. Jesus was rich in glory rich in glory. But in becoming a man, he gave up the riches of glory so that we who are spiritually bankrupt sinners might be made spiritually wealthy. That's the grace of God. That's the grace of God. And you see, as we grow in our faith, as we grow in Christ, we also grow in the area of generosity because that is the way that Jesus is. He's so generous, so generous And you see, in gratitude for all that Christ has has given us, we want to give to others. That's why you want to give. You want to give to others. That's part of our spiritual development. A cheap, stingy Christian is a a Christian who's not growing much. When you consider about how generous God has been to you, how can you not be generous to others? It's not even logical. So if you're ever going to be generous, if we are ever going to be generous like the Macedonian Christians, then we need to be growing in grace as, as the Spirit of God uses the Lord's Word to work in our lives and develop us in this area.
2: An attitude of gratitude is an attitude of generosity. It's not about our dollars, it's about our hearts. If our hearts are right, the dollars will also be right. I'm glad you joined us today for Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you'd like to visit Lakeside, the address is 1893 Sunset Point Road in Clearwater. For service times, call the office at 727-441-1714 or visit lakesidechapel.com. Find out more about Verse by Verse at versebyverseradio.org. You can access all of our previous broadcasts on the Message Archive page. Or you can give to help fund these Bible Classes of the Air on the Giving page. We're very grateful for the generous gifts of our listeners. I'm Jerry Peterson. So far, we've been looking at God's grace as the motivator for our giving. But if our giving is going to be an indicator of our gratitude for what He's done for us, is it enough to calculate the giving according to our resources? What made the Macedonians such great role models was that they gave beyond their means. Next time on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve will consider how they gave out of an abundance of joy.
0: We are here to give you strength between.